When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. She got into my arms. She loves flowers. And I was like, I'm so sorry. She has autism. She was like, she's fine. Well, on Oliver Plunkett Street in the middle of broad daylight, there's a group of young men just getting high. For somebody coming in off an ambulance trolley, I have found that we physically do not have enough trolleys. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 Email opinion at 96FM. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Morning, morning, morning. It's a nice morning out there. Don't be fooled. Uh, it's going to change and it looks like it could get very mucky later in the day. Low pressure and astronomical high tides. It might interest you to know, then again it might not. I'm always arguing that spring is March. The official astronomical arrival of spring was my friends 24 minutes past nine last night and what's more i have an app on my phone that can prove it so that's why you're getting a high tide at the moment that's why you're getting some nasty weather but the high tide is the astronomical spring tide the astronomical arrival of spring of course is connected Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. The text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. For whatever is on your mind. If you're interested in homeschooling, Michal Martin kind of walked himself into, I think, more trouble than it's worth for him in the last few days. You, you, you might have heard uh, he gave an interview to the examiner in which he brought up the whole Enoch Burke thing. Yeah, I know, mentioned the war. He brought up that whole thing. And he kind of pointed to the Enoch Burke thing as a bad advertisement for homeschooling. And people who advocate homeschooling are losing the rag about it since. I'd like to know your thoughts, particularly people who homeschool or who have considered homeschooling. What did you think? of what Michal Martin said. He said he thinks you get a more rounded education when you go into school. He's a teacher. He's kind of biased anyway. But he was kind of comparing what happened with Enoch Burke and the whole Burke family and, you know, what they're like with homeschooling. And he seems to have tripped up a bit for himself. I'd appreciate your thoughts on that. We'll get to it later in the morning. Also, we'll be following over the next 24 hours with great interest this vote in the Doyle 
on the eviction ban. Look, the government will come through this. That That's almost a given. The numbers are tight. They're as tight as, tight as, as a duck's ass in a hurricane, the numbers. But they'll come through because that's what governments do. They get through tight votes. And unfortunately, they are insisting that the eviction ban will be lifted at the end of the month. They say they have to do it for legal reasons. They say it hasn't stopped people becoming homeless. They say it hasn't done anything to decrease homelessness while it was in place. Whereas people who advocate for keeping the eviction ban say, well, it'll stop hundreds more people becoming homeless over the next couple of months, if not thousands of them. I was shocked to learn, uh, Martin Leahy, that you're one of those people. This is Martin who has been going up and down to the Doyle every week. For how long now, Martin, singing your song and protesting about housing? You too are set to be evicted soon. Good morning. Yeah, morning, PJ. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, um, in the coming months, I'll be issued with um, an eviction notice if the eviction ban is lifted. Um, uh, yeah, in answer to your question, it's week 46 um, uh, next Thursday, this Thursday. Right. You go up every Thursday morning, you take yeah. up your little pitch, you perform yeah. your song. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I stand outside the door for an hour between one and two every Thursday and I sing my song, um, Everyone Should Have a Home. And um, yeah, it's my... It was like originally, um, the, when I heard about the threat of the eviction that the landlord was selling the property, it was over a year ago. That's kind of when when I went out into the market and started looking and found that I was totally priced out and there was no availability. Yeah. And that's kind of what drove me to write the song. And then I went up outside it all in a kind of an act of um, desperation. Originally, just in terms of like, I don't know what else to do and this is what I can do, so... That's what I did. So, assuming that the uh, lifting of the ban goes through, and unfortunately this is how politics works, they will push it through uh, by the end of the week. Um, that's what governments do. What what do what will happen to you? What's the timeline for you? The timeline is about six or seven months. And so, yeah, I'll be issued with a notice. I'm expecting to be issued um, fairly quickly after the eviction ban is lifted. Um, but... Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm not sure. There seems to be a lot of... Um, there seems to be... I mean, you might be right, but there seems to be a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there was a video came out there last night. Uh, Dr. Rory Hearn released it, and there was... A, uh, I'm on it, but there's, there's a load of other people um, with um, with a profile yep. on it. I'm looking at it here, Father Peter McVerry, Mario yeah. Rosenstock, Brezzy, uh, the General Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. Yeah. Yeah. The director of the Women's Council. There's quite a, quite a list there, and yeah. there's also a few people who are facing eviction. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm one of those. But the the some of the things that that are being said on on that video are are just. I mean, we all know it anyway. But to hear it collected in, in with those voices in that way, it's pretty powerful. Uh, Peter McFerry says um, he said that we have if they list the eviction ban, we have a wave of human misery coming down yeah. the road. That's what he says. I mean, that's pretty... They're the groups right at the centre of the emergency mm-hmm. accommodation. Mm-hmm. The overactor said um, about 10 days ago on the 6-1 News, he says, look, in a, in a kind of a dire effort to reassure us, he said, don't, don't worry, there will be emergency accommodation available. Anyway, it turns out that that's not true. Mike Allen from Focus Ireland was saying the same thing. Paul Sheen from Cox Island Community was saying the same thing. They're full to the rafters. Oh, Paul, Paul was saying on the, on the news here on 96FM yesterday, they literally haven't got a square foot left to give people. 
I know, I know. It's it's so it's so catastrophic. It seems that the government um, don't seem to even realise what's coming down the road during the summer. Um, if if this if this um, lifting of the ban goes through, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Um, I have no idea. I'm just kind of living from week to week at the moment. I'm just ho- I'm I'm hoping that they they will um, continue the eviction ban. Um, I have no idea because it's um, it, it uh, you know there's not much point in me going into it. It's well documented that we're in a housing crisis and yeah. an emergency. That you know the usual stuff, the availability and places uh, and prices, all that you know. Yeah. One word that, or one thing we learned during COVID, Martin, and I made the point on this programme many, many times. One thing we learned during COVID was there is no such word as can't when we need to do it. We're being told at the moment that the, go- that the government's advice from the Attorney General, Mr. Fanning, is that we can't extend it. Now, we learned during COVID there's no such word as can't. Absolutely, I agree, um, and especially in 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 a situation where it is an emergency and it it, it is a crisis. Um, we all know that they they did it for the last six months, so it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it and when you have all these people who are like right in the centre of dealing with homelessness, Peter McFerry, Mike Allen, Paul Sheen, when you have them screaming yeah. at the government yeah. to say, listen. Don't do this. There's going to be. Yeah. It's so heartless. It's so cruel. You're going to push all these people into homelessness, adding to the thousands that are already there. It 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 is beyond cruel. Well, if you just take two of the people you mentioned there, Martin, yeah, uh, Peter Peter McVerry, who yeah. probably has forgotten more about homelessness and how to solve it than every housing minister put together in the country for the last thirty years, Absolutely. and you have someone whom I'm no, I've known him personally since the eighties. Paul Sheen. Yeah. Paul Sheen yeah. is, is, he knows his stuff. Yeah. So they yeah. just take those two people and they're saying, yeah. you're going to cause havoc. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're the kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're so kind of important and the work they do is so vital for them to be ignored uh, or not listened to by the government who have obviously shown that they have a very um, chaotic and incompetent approach to dealing with the housing crisis. Mm. It's the first time we've had a government that um, can, Fianna Fáil, it's the first time that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been in together so it's the first time we've had a government where they can't say uh, we inherited the problem. You know. Mm. Yeah, between the two of them they've been working on it since God knows how long. The other side of the coin though, which it's also important to give is we know that landlords are departing the scene in their droves. Yeah. And that if we keep the eviction plan in place, statistically they will continue to do so. Mm, well, I, I guess people like Rory Hearn say that, well, they're leaving anyway. I mean, it's, it, I mean the, the idea of the private landlord, as far as I know, it, you know, the private landlord wasn't really a thing in the 60s and 70s with social housing. No, because housing. we had thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands of council houses. Yeah. When yeah, we hadn't was, an ass to our trousers... This this country built thousands and thousands and thousands of houses there every year. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I, I suppose the long term thing is public housing on public land. But um, you know, the immediate thing is that definitely, yes, I, I know what you're saying. But at the moment, when you the situation is so um, 
it's such an emergency and it's so crucial to stop more people. I mean, we've heard for the first time ever last week, it's the first time I've ever I've heard it, where, um, you know, there was talk of people that they may have to present at guard stations to, yeah. because there'd be absolutely no... no so the, guards are, the guards are now saying, Tom Myers, the super, was saying yesterday at the JPC, listen, we, we've nowhere to put them. Oh my God. We've nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, a guard the station. There's some guard the stations are now don't even have staff. They yeah. don't even have guards. Yeah, yeah. Few what are they going to do? Day. Start setting up bunks in Douglas Guard Station? It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of surreal that we've gotten to this point. That this is the conversation. And know? this is the thing, Martin. There's a saying. I don't know who first coined it, but my wife uses it a lot. When ten people are telling you you're dead, you should consider lying down. Yeah. People are people are turning up to the government and saying, and look, I don't care where people's politics are. Yeah. You know, my my, my politics have nothing to do with this. Yeah. The those who know and get it and understand and work at the coalface are turning around in their drove to the government and saying, Don't do this. Yeah. 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 These, these are not people who say things like this. Don't do this. And as I say, if 10 people are telling you you're dead, you should consider lying down. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So if you were to try, I mean, I don't know what rent you're paying now, but if you were to go out in the market tomorrow, Martin, even if you could find a place, could you afford it? Um, I, I wouldn't be able to afford it, no. It's, it's more than doubled since I was looking wow. last time, which was about seven years ago. Would you get half? Um, that's, uh, I, I would, yeah, um... I would get hap, but um, I guess the problem there is that um, well, there are a number of problems, but you know, it's 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 well documented that we're in a in an emergency anyway. Yeah, all mm. right. I wish you luck. Yeah, thanks so much. Good. To That's talk all to I you. can do. That's all I can do yeah. is wish you luck. Yeah, thanks so much, PJ. I appreciate it. Thanks, Martin. No, that's just an observation. And I'm not talking politics here. I don't particularly care about what Ono Brin has to say or, you know, Mick Barry or any... I don't really care. They're politic, politicians and politicians are going to politic. But when the people who really know, who really get it, who really understand it, are standing there going, do not do this, do not do this, you, you kind of wonder... Well, why would you do it? John, good morning. Hello. Good morning, John. What would you like to say? Um, I just have a question. How is it possible that the government can decide which laws to enforce and which laws not to enforce? How I understand you, how that pr- prices, well, prices are high for rent. Prices are high for everything. Uh, should we next be allowed to go into Dunn stores and take a jumper off the shelf without... Any consequences without fear of being arrested for for stealing? You know that's I mean, not going to happen. Yeah, I know. But what law? How can you say this law about not paying your rent but still staying staying in someone's property is now going to have a moratorium on it? But I still I can't walk into but, a pub and get a pint of Guinness and not pay for it and not have any consequences. But John, the eviction ban very clearly does not cover anybody who refuses to pay their rent. Nor it never did. Then that makes sense then. Okay. The eviction, the eviction ban only covered. Yeah, that answers your question. The evi- no, the, 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 that that's a myth that's put out there by people very mischievously. You, the, the eviction ban does not cover you if you don't pay your rent. No. That answers my question. Thank you, PJ. Yeah, you're you're angry though about how how 
how the situation is, I, I imagine. And how landlords well, I mean, are being... You're, you're angry about how landlords are being portrayed, I think, John, are you? Well, I mean, it's a free market, is it not? Yeah. And everything is expensive where people complain about the price of petrol and the price of a pint and the price of a new jumper. It is what it is. How are you going to control that? Yeah, but isn't it the job of a government to protect the most vulnerable of its people? And sometimes that means making decisions that the market doesn't like. Absolutely, but then there's the balance between a controlled economy and a free, a free market economy. Ideally, you're somewhere in between. You have to have controls. Yeah. If, if you let the free market rule, that's unmitigated, unmitigated capitalism. That's a disaster. If you over-regulate, then that's unmitigated socialism. Somewhere in between is, is, mm. is the balance one would expect, would you think? Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Are you a landlord yourself, John? I uh, no, no, I'm not. Okay. So you're, well, you're saying that the, the moratorium means that they don't—they're not paying the rent now, but in some time in the future, they will make up the back rent. No, anybody who refuses to pay rent can be evicted, but the eviction man does not affect anyone who is paying their rent. Or sorry, you got me confused myself now. The the, the eviction ban did not cover people who weren't paying their rent. That's what I'm saying. It's called no. It's called a no fault eviction ban. You understand me? Not quite. So uh, I didn't get paid from March. Does that mean I can then start an eviction proceeding against my tenant? That would be according to the terms of the contract you have with the tenant. If you've drawn up a contract with the tenant with regard to the terms and conditions of when the rent shall be paid, and the mm. tenant breaches that contract, if the tenant breaches the contract, then you're entitled to begin procedures, I would imagine. That answers my question. Then, okay, then the laws, the, the government, the Irish government hasn't just said, okay, we're not going to enforce this one particular law. I'm not quite sure I get you. It just seems from the, the way they were discussing it that the Irish government has said, look, landlords can no longer enforce the laws to take back their property if they're not being paid. Oh, no, that, but that was never there. Landlords did not have the power mm -hmm. to take back their property if they weren't being paid. That was never the case. I see. That was never the case. All right. All right. All right Thanks, Thank John. You, Appreciate the call, dude. It's an interesting, interesting conversation. That is a com that is a con what's the word? A complication of the eviction ban. It's called a no fault eviction ban. What it means is if you are within the terms and conditions of your rental agreement, you can't be evicted. If you break the terms and conditions of your rental agreement, you always could be evicted. That wasn't very well enunciated, to use a posh word, but by a lot of people. But thank you for that, John. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Cork's 96 FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie. If you have any more thoughts on the housing ban and that, or the eviction ban, God almighty, the eviction ban, that 
vote will be tomorrow night in the Doyle. And I'm making the prediction, and maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll be wrong, but at this stage, I think I kind of know my politics. I'm making the prediction that the government will pull the votes together to get it through, and the eviction ban will happen at the end of March. I'd be surprised the ending of the eviction ban will happen at the end of March on schedule. I'd be surprised, I'd be very surprised if there was an about turn, even with NASA Harrigan going to vote against the government, even with the, the, the margin down to serious squeaky bum time, they will get through. They will get that vote through. They will beat the Sinn Féin vote. And even if they don't, that's the thing, even if they don't, it's it's not a vote that has any legal enforcement anyway. So the government, the Sinn Féin can win the vote. It embarrasses and bruises the government. But it does nothing to them. Just except it embarrasses and bruises them. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. We'll watch it with interest. Mary Jane, this happened to you over the weekend. You put up this one. Talking to Mary Jane O'Regan, beauty expert and columnist with the Cork Indo and High Style. You put up a picture over the weekend and you got trolled. Not the first time it's happened to you, Mary Jane, and I guess it won't be the last. But it's getting annoying. Morning. Morning. How are you, PJ? Good. Yeah. Look, do you know what? I think. It happens. Um, it, it happens to me quite a lot on Twitter. Actually, it doesn't really happen to me on other um, platforms, but I think Twitter, I suppose, is just it's a bit more like um, uh, the wild west of of social media, you know. And people, I suppose, look, people, you know, have different opinions and stuff. And it's usually kind of men, and it's always really, really sinister when I get trolled like that. Um, you'll get the the one or two women that will kind of jump on board. Um, but like, what what you'll find is that it, it's it's always people that you know kind of just troll your looks and kind of talk about your looks, and then they kind of they kind of get personal, and then I suppose maybe they go off and they Google you, and then they come back and they start putting up like you know oh your personal information and stuff. And look, I mean from my perspective, I share lots of stuff online in relation to beauty, in relation to aesthetic treatments, in relation to food. Like I like food and I have a bit of banter with that. Mm. But like I don't really share any of my personal life, but it's quite well known where I work, where I work and what I do for a living and stuff. And I suppose like these guys, like they're it's just kind of a little bit sinister. You know, you'd wonder why, like, if somebody, you know, tweeted something that offended me, I just kind of move on. Now, sometimes I will weigh in on a conversation, and this is kind of how, how this happened. Somebody was talking about Carl Vorderman, and I said, but sure, look, she looks great. What's the point? And then yeah. it started an attack on me, basically, like, yeah. about sure, look at you. you've. And then they, they went into all this, like, weird stuff, saying that I'd had facelifts and stuff. Like, PJ, I wish I had a facelift if I... If I if I could afford one, I'd be on I'd be uh I'd be on the operating table in the morning, you know. Yeah. But um, I just think look, it's it's very very sinister. Like, and they're out to cause hurt and harm to people. And they're hiding behind now, them. I've one here in front of me that you were subjected yeah. to at the weekend. By the way, I'm aware of the Carol Vorderman story, and I saw her on a podcast last week that I watch. And yeah. I then read she was 63 and I got, she is not. Yes, that's it. She it's looks like incredible. 
incredible. She looks like she's in her 40s, but... It's probably cost her the price of a small house, but you know what, if she has it, fair play to her. Yeah, but... And listen, look, her her industry is so focused on image and we're reading so much, PJ, about women becoming invisible as they age and all that kind of stuff. So, like, it's, you know, people that are, that are like, they'd nearly prefer, I think these troll fellas, like, would nearly prefer you to hide and say you've had nothing done mm. and not be proud of how you look. I think it bo- what bothers them is that you're confident. It doesn't actually, it used to affect me years and years and years ago, but I'm in this game now a long time. So like, I know this is a guy hiding behind a profile picture of somebody that I don't know. Um, he's anonymous and he has all his anonymous friends yeah. and all they do all the t- all day, every day is just troll people online. And it's not always women. The, they troll men. Um, the one I'm looking at know, here has got a completely... It's a picture of a Union Jack and yeah. no name on it. It's completely anonymous. No name. Completely. It's completely anonymous. And that's, that's, and you know what? The other thing that I find as well is that, like, you, like, Irish people will just kind of throw the odd comment or whatever. But when you have these guys with Union Jacks and stuff on their profile, like, they keep coming at you. And, like, I just, like, I'll come to a point where I'll just block them after a little bit of interaction. But, you know, I just get my point across. I I don't care. But I can imagine, you know, the first time that it happened to me, I was like petrified. It's it's ter- it would be terrifying if you weren't. And particularly like I work in an office or whatever. Um, and it's a there's a lock on the door and stuff like that. So you have to buzz to get into the office. But like if I was I remember when I was working in retail and you're standing on a counter, a makeup counter. Like, the, you know, you'd be afraid of your life that one of these fellas would come in on top of you. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And, and and that kind of stuff. So, like, it's done to intimidate and silence people who they think are above their station. Like, if I was on there now tweeting that I was ugly or that, you know, I'd probably get a few sympathy or whatever. But the minute that you come out and, and, and people see it, perhaps, I don't know, as being arrogant, but it's done to kind of take you down a peg or two and to silence you and to make you feel like you're less or that you're, you know, and, and it, it is done like, and people can find out so much about you, you know, and people will be threatening to kind of like, I've seen it never done to me, but I've seen it done to people where they threaten to dox them. So like what doxing is, if anyone that's listening doesn't Explain know. Explain it that they anyway. Threaten, yeah, they, they threaten to kind of publish online, which is illegal, by the way, your address and your telephone number and your personal details and stuff like that. So like the address of your office or mm. the address of your home, which is worse. Um, and like I've seen that done. Um, to people continuously on Twitter, um, where they where they find out their name, and you know where they work, where people work, and they send emails to their bosses, and that actually happened to me a couple of years ago, where this person, like an absolute freak, was sending clients of mine, like people that I would have done business with, like these really weird erratic letters and stuff like that. So. Like that was a bit kind of sinister and that was scary. And that's kind of bordering on a bit of stalking. Yeah. But like, it, look, it is what it is. And I suppose I just, I, it doesn't affect me, but like I feel bad. And I, and I often find myself getting into Twitter spats of people who kind of attack others. Cause I would say, why are you attacking them? She's just living her life. Leave her alone, you know? And then it, it, they start it, it, on it's, you. It's that's funny. The way it I was chatting Friday night uh, with, with Queen Bee. Um, who, as you know, yeah. follows you. And yeah. she said to me, 
God, Mary Jane is well able, but she should just block them. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you are, you are well able, Mary Jane, but yeah. you know, why do, someone is saying, why don't you just block, 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 block? Yeah. Do you know what? I think, I think some of it is to do with, I feel like it's a bit weak to just block them off the bat. Now I do always end up eventually blocking them, right? but I, I give them, I give them a bit, I give them back a bit. Yeah. Before you I like block. to roast them a bit, don't you? Well, it's not even like to roast them. I, I like to stand up for myself. Yeah. You yeah, know, you'd be like me there. You'd be like yeah, me there. You know, yeah. and and it's not that's not arrogance, but I, I feel like, God, oh, you know, I don't want them to feel like they've intimidated me because I feel that feeds into them more. But then the other side of it is when you interact with them, that kind of gives them a bit yeah. of fuel as well, you know. Every Jane, and we know each other well enough now, and I don't want this to be too personal a question, but you know when you turn the computer off at night or turn off the phone at night? Yeah. Does it get does it upset you then? No, never. I, and I, I mean that genuinely. I've done like I've done therapy because obviously, you know, being kind of just in the public eye slightly and stuff like that. And, you know, you do get. So I did therapy, I'd say about five years ago and I got some really good coping skills from that. And like literally when you turn off your phone or you turn off your computer, those people have no access to you and they have no access to me anyway once I block them. That's yes. the end of it. That's yes. the end of the access. So, you know, I, I'm getting a lot of that in real time. And I know there's friends of mine that are getting it on a much, much worse scale yes. on the likes of Tattle Life and places like that. Oh, that's, just a, that's just a cesspit, that place. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've been on it maybe once or twice because um, I think I might have been kind of slightly mentioned there. But just, you know, again... Uh, vacuous stuff like oh god her lips or whatever you know this kind of carry on but like like I've had people that are getting an you know I know people that are getting an absolutely horrendous time on it and like for what like what what are you what are you gaining from it like if you and I have a, a chat on on Twitter or anywhere else it's all banter and a laugh and it's meant to lighten the load and lighten your day and have a bit of a skit and I make a mockery of myself as much as anybody else you know what I mean? But it's just, I suppose, these people are, they're, you know, they're very, um, they're very bitter and and focused on, on hurting other people. That's the aim of the game with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're tougher than that, fair play to you. You're tougher than that. No, yeah, I was, well, I, you know, I, as I said, you, I have to cope, you know, you, you learn to cope with it. Yeah. I mean, the first, for the first few times it happened to me, I was very, ups- I found it very upsetting, but I don't anymore. And I think as you get older as well, you just think, Eric, come here. <laughs> they must have nothing better in their lives to be doing now, you know. I get you, Mary Jane. Thank you, Mary Jane Marie. If you want to follow her on Twitter and see the fun she has with these characters from time to time, the Glam Chop. On, I know, I, I love the name, and the Glam Chop uh, on on Twitter, uh, Mary Jane O'Regan. She's a beauty expert and a columnist with High Style and the Cork Indo. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Good pal as well. On the eviction ban, hi Pete. Just a quick question: If you've a properly a property rented out as an investment, but you need it back for a son or daughter who needs it as a residence for college, what do you do there? With the eviction ban, do you then have to source other accommodation as you wouldn't have access to your own? The government has right to lift the ban, says Elaine. That is a problem caused by the ban, Elaine. Yes, you are correct there. That is an issue caused by the ban. Ask PJ what I, as a landlord, who's owed 30k in rent is supposed to do. The ban has allowed my tenant to refuse to pay rent and live off me for two years. But a balance required here. No, if, you're, if your tenant is in breach of their 
contract, you're entitled to start eviction proceedings, at least unless I'm completely misreading the situation. Unless I'm completely misreading the situation. If someone has refused to pay you rent and is in breach of their contract, evict away. That seems to be my understanding of it. Daffodil Day is Friday, March 24th, and we're proud, proudly supporting it here at Cork's 96FM. It's a day to give hope and to raise vital funds so that one day cancer can take no more of us and affect no more of our lives. Daffodil pins are available from any of the Daffodil Day volunteers, and you help fund free cancer support services and life-changing research. If you'd like to take part, donate, or just find out more, you can see cancer.ie 0818 96 96 96 for whatever's on your mind particularly Twitter and the state of social media trolling or the eviction ban that question that has arisen about whether someone who stopped paying their rent a year ago or more ago can't be evicted because of the ban we're trying to clarify that but to the best of our and we've sent a message back to the person who sent the original communication. To the best of our knowledge, between the three of us here and anybody else we can ask, the eviction ban does not apply if you have refused to pay your rent. That's our understanding. If anybody, if we're wrong and anybody can demonstrate to us we're wrong, I'd like to know. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Twitter says Eddie uh, on the trolling and all that. Responding or interacting with a troll empowers them for far more than blocking ever will. Give someone power of moderation over your social media. Let them go ahead and block or filter out the scummy trolls and enjoy your life while they stew in the anger that you've taken that power away from them, says Eddie. Well, one thing, I, Eddie, in my line of work, I have to have Twitter. I have to keep an eye on what's going on out there. And you get a bit of abuse. I won't take anything that comes from a string of numbers or anything that comes from an egg or a false name or some idiot with four followers I just block them. But I, I do have some fun with, with real accounts who want to have a pop-off. me. But Kev, you reckon it's after getting worse since Mr. Musk took over. Morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, it, 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 I'm the same as you. I have to have it for the podcast that I'm involved with. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a, tool, it's a tool for me. And it has gotten a lot worse. Uh, the moderation on the site is almost non-existent. It's not so much the what Musk did when he took over is the amount of layoffs that have happened mm. since um, since he's taken over. We're seeing the effect. People who use it regularly are seeing the effect of it now. And it's gotten to a stage with me that if if he won't do the moderation, then it's up to, I think it's up to the EU to legislate across the board. There's no point in individual countries legislating against these these companies. They're just too damn big. And at least if you got an EU-wide law that said if you want to operate within the EU, which is one of the richest markets in the world, you're going to have to moderate your site to a certain standard. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then the whole thing will come crumbling down around your ears and your $42 billion is going to go up in smoke. Would you agree with me, Kevin, that it's about time some platform, Twitter being the prime example, that you can't go on as a string of numbers or an egg 
Yeah. You've got to have to be traceable in some way. It's, um, look, if you go, look, we had Cheltenham last week, yeah? Mm. If, if you wanted to go and open a betting account, you would have to provide a passport photo, uh, your, basically your passport number to open a betting account. You can't just rock up with bank details and say, give me a betting account. But you can go on social media and create multiple accounts with multiple different email addresses within an hour. Mm-hmm. And not just, you know, it, it, it takes five minutes to set up an email address and a social media account. So the guy who texts in about blocking people, that's fine. If you've got a persistent troll, that persistent troll is going to have a burner account and mm-hmm. multiple, and uh, more than one. And you'll always get people who will just continuously troll you. But the other side of it is when you go to reports and when you go to report someone, the reporting process has changed from what it was before must took over to now. That it's all, it's really difficult yes. to, to report someone and to get them to fall within a category that it'll even be looked at. And then when it's looked at, nothing happens. Yeah. And this is it's like the standards this absolute free speech standards that must seems to be applying across the board has consequences. And some of the consequences you heard in your first caller in the guy who phoned up about the housing crisis talking about if I don't pay my rent, um, I can't kick someone out. Well, no, that's just fake information that's yeah. put out on social media and riles people where the reality is, and I'm sure you'll get it confirmed before the end of the show. That if I think we pretty much your, are there now. Yeah, yeah. If you don't pay your rent, you're out. That's always been the case. Yeah. But if you go on social media and you want to find out information to confirm what you think in your own mind, you'll find it. And you'll find the social media yes. and you'll like stuff. And the other thing with social media, with Twitter especially, I don't know if you've noticed it, you've got two different timelines now. You've got the timeline of the people that you follow and then you've got another timeline that says for you. Yeah. And that for you, I'm seeing is bringing up people that I've blocked, people that I've muted, um, people that I don't interact with, and views that I'm seeing that I want absolutely nothing to do with. But the Twitter algorithm is saying that that's what I want to see. And it's just It has changed that way. It's gone gone worse. It really has. And um, unfortunately, I was never in the the Bannett Brigade. I'm far from it in an awful lot of respects. But someone has got to get a, a rein on social media because the power uh, and influence that it has is growing year by year and it's we've already seen the influence of social media change elections it, it and it's not going to get better anytime soon and if legislators are going to do anything about it they're going to have to do something about it soon yeah well if you take just take mary jane i mean yeah. mary jane's a pal she's mm-hmm. as tough as nails i know that but yep. even I was concerned about her and the missus was concerned about her on Friday night with the crap she was getting. Kev, I'll leave it there. Thank you, sir. Uh, need to tighten up on Twitter. On the, and he, Kevin reckons that since Mr. Musk took over with this, Elon Musk, with this free speech thing of his, this free speech mantra of his, that everyone gets to say what they want, when they want, how they want, and anonymously, if they want to say it, Kevin reckons that Twitter's gotten a lot worse. I nearly have arthritis in me blocking finger at this stage from just getting rid of idiots. 0818969696. On a happier note. Now, it was a very special Mother's Day for Marion Coleman. Um, because was it Marion the first Mother's Day in a long time 
that Neil, your son, was able to give you a big, healthy bear hug for Mother's Day. Morning. <laughs> Good morning. Um, nice to be here. Thank you for talking to me. Uh, yeah, it was it was a very very good Mother's Day, I can tell you. Now we did have a, it was the second one since the operation. Yes. But you know, like the first the first year after the receiving the kidney, you know, there's back and forth to the hospital and you know, they're getting tweaking things all the time. Yeah. So this one, he was in the full of his health. You gave him a kidney, Marianne. How did that come about? Um Right. Well, it took a few years of his, um, you know, I think it's in the article that it was at it after his brother's wedding, you know, where he'd been having the time of his life. And the next day, he'd just take one look at him and we all went, oh, my God. <laughs> and he was just hiding his face. He looked like he'd been beaten up. Yeah. That's how, how bad he, 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 he looked. He had kidney failure since he was 20-something, right? Yeah, 25 was when when we noticed it and he it was already down pretty low. Yeah. Um, he had had a problem when he was a child. Um, he'd had a kidney removed. Uh, it was due to reflux. The issue had been fixed, but a- apparently, um, you know, because some damage had been done to the kidney, it can be a ticking time bomb waiting to, yeah. waiting to fail, you know, later. So as soon as so you, anyway, you, as, soon as you learned that your, your, your darling boy, needed a kidney, you said, well, you can have one of mine if they're compatible. How often does that happen, Marion, that your kidney would be compatible for him? Do you know? Um, well, they told us at the meeting like that it's one in eight people that really? who put themselves forward. Yeah. So uh, the, the beauty is, though, even if we hadn't been a match, you can go into a paired scheme where I could donate a kidney and they would find, among other people who are willing to donate, they'd find a match for him. You know, it's oh, sort of a, kind a of swap. Quid pro quo thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, and as um, as a, a parent, I'm sure every parent would be the same. Absolutely. Um, if somebody had to give him a kidney, it's far easier to do it yourself than to be worrying about another family member who might be... You'd give <laughs> them your right forward. arm, Marion, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And there's no thought about it. Like, you just do it. So, um, you know, I, that's how I feel. And I, I think most people I know would be the same. And you you know? say it's... it's for, for you, the experience, losing a kidney and having to adapt to life with one, is that difficult? No, there's... There's no awareness of being of missing a kidney. There's no awareness at all. And I'm although I'm in my my sixties, I'm fit. I get out there. I'm walking. Uh, I like. I was never any good at running, but I try a bit of running and everything. And I do keep fit and healthy. I had an advantage in that my niece had donated a kidney when she was in her twenties. This would be to somebody the other side of the family. Like it wasn't my side of the family at all. Mm. And um, she went on to have three children afterwards. So I knew that perfect health was there for the taking afterwards. If, you know, if we, you know, I don't think you need to be lucky. Um, if you're in good health and they check you out so thoroughly yeah. beforehand that you have to be a healthy individual to I, do it. 
You say one in eight people, one in eight parents or siblings or family members will be compatible, which that's an incredible statistic. But live donors, they're not talked about much, but how common is that, do you know? Um. I, I think they they do one at least one a month or something. Really? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah um, because I think you know if if somebody where they need outside donors is if they they don't have adult family members to come forward. Yes, yes. You yes. know, uh, so we we're a big family, so I'm sure there would have been plenty more, but there was no need. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, I think my husband got tested as well, and he was a match too. Oh, so, really? Yeah, I don't think you have to be a perfect match. Yeah. It's the, they have a range of how they I, th- they I think do from it. talking I don't, to people previously, there's eight yeah. boxes you need to tick, and if you can tick more than five of them, they'll go for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were we were a good match, and everything has gone very, very well indeed. Fantastic. And um, anybody thinking of being a donor... The rewards it for the recipient are just so big. Yeah, like they have a life. He's back in they college. He's back doing everything he used to do. They have a yes, a normal life. Uh, so if you must have something seriously wrong with you, and you can get a kidney transplant, it's a good one to have. <laughs> you know, um, like this. I I would be worried because he's on the immunosuppressant drugs and things yes. like that. But I also trust. The, if you need to get into the system at all, the the experts they they just look after you so well. Yeah. At right. no time are you in any doubt. You're in great hands. So they make everything easy. Good. They right. really do. Okay. And if you're you're encouraging, and so is Neil indeed, encouraging people to become donors. Marion Coleman, thank you. That's a statistic I did not know. One in eight relatives. One in eight is a match in the case of a kidney. Thank you for that, Marion Coleman. 0818 96 96 96. Thank you to Peter Horgan, uh, Labour Party um, activist and indeed former uh, council candidate, if I remember correctly. He said it's a no-fault eviction ban. It does not cover non-payment of rent. What's more, it does not cover antisocial behaviour. Thank you, Peter. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. On the subject of the online world and just how much is out there about us and how accessible what's out there is. I just finished a book over the weekend. I'm a big fan of Shane Dunphy. He was a guest on the program last summer talking about his books. He writes novels under the name S.A. Dunphy. He's wrote a bunch of books under the name Shane as well, but his novels are written under the name S.A. Dunphy. His latest book is called The Help Desk, and I read it in a day and a half over the weekend. It's a wonderful book, but it's about how much of us is out there to be found and used against 
as it were. A great book. You'll enjoy it. Pick it up. And, and all good bookshops now. And also, uh, my congratulations to Ty Coakley, whose new book is out. Collins is back. If you're a fan, you'll know. Collins is back. Before He Kills Again is the name of Tyg's new book. I look forward to getting my hands on that very, very soon. 0818 96 96 96. Kevin says Marion is a hero. She's all of that. And then some. So, how did Michal Martin land himself in trouble with the homeschoolers of Ireland? Homeschooling is up. There's a lot of it going on. A lot less, a lot more than there used to be. A lot of people started homeschooling during the pandemic when they had no choice and stayed doing it afterwards for reasons best known to themselves. To put my own cards on the table, I couldn't even think of it. They'd be killings in my house if I had to homeschool. I'm not qualified anyway. The people who taught me in school went to college for years to learn how to teach. And, and I'm not qualified to teach my children in any way, shape or form. But anyway, it was on the back of Enoch Bork, who, by the way, I think is back at the school again this morning. He's back outside the Wilson Hospital School again. But Michal Martin was commenting uh, during his trip to the States. He was talking to the examiner and he said that the Enoch Bork case highlighted why children should be educated at school and not in the home. He said it showed the importance of socialization and that people should be educated in schools. Now, Enoch Burke's mother, Martina, homeschooled all of her children. Simeon and Amy and the whole lot of them. There's ten of them. God almighty. Ten children. That alone is a nightmare in itself. But she's a qualified teacher. So at least she has some qualifications. Michal said he believes there's a reason why the Burke family have such an isolated perspective in life. And they think everyone else is wrong. And it strikes me, he said, there's a reason for all that. He said he doesn't want to comment too much in depth. But it does speak to the importance of socialization, particularly in education. I'm not a great fan of homeschooling, he says. I think children need to socialize. Now, those comments were picked up upon by people who homeschool and people who advocate for homeschooling. Uh, Maeve O'Leary Maeve, you're, you've three kids and they're all unschooled or homeschooled talk about the difference between the two in a minute morning, TJ. I, um, I was on to you uh, a few years ago and at that time they were unschooled and since they've grown up and the eldest is now in university in third year and um, my other two children are actually in school Right. The eldest is doing her leaving cert. She went into school at 15. Uh, so she's doing the leaving cert. And my youngest decided to go earlier and she headed off in uh, first year. So um, what, that's what's my personal de- situation. Define yeah. unschooled for me and how it differs from homeschooled. Because unschooled sounds like they got no education. I assume I'm wrong. <laughs> Um, well, I suppose unschooling is uh, its just really the philosophy that we're learning from life all the time, from the day we're born until the day we die. Um, and we see, ev- you know, there's evidence of that all the time when, when children tell you things and you go, how did you learn that? Uh, sometimes it's in school, but often it's from other sources. Um, and in our own lives as adults, we're learning every day, you know. Uh, so it's it's just a it's just a wonderful embracing of life, I think, and 
not having the fear that we won't learn, but that we do learn and that we're primed to be engaged in our world and to use our brains and to live our lives to the full. So and it's outside institution, you know, so mm. um, that that appealed to me, that philosophy straight away, because I could see my little four-year-old was learning and at her own pace and that she was playing with her little friends and uh you know you know eating her lunch slowly not being rushed to head out the door and answer to a bell and so we we continued to do that Mm -hmm. Uh, and and eventually that girl then went to school actually at 15 she never did a junior search she went into transition year and she did really well in school. Right. Um, she loved it, actually. And uh, she's the girl now in third year in UCC. Wow, and well done to her. Why did she decide, though, after all those years, to, to go to school? Uh, yeah, I think it's true. I mean, it's luckily it's getting more and more popular now. But I think when you are a teenager... Um, you know, you do want to be part of the band of teenagers, you know, um, and it's a, it's it, it's not always straightforward as to how to do that outside the school system when you're older. Um, and for some kids, that works fine, you know, and I think there are more things available now. Mm. But she was keen to try it and uh, it suited her, yeah. suited her very well. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's kind of an individual choice. And sure. it, she was very lucky to have it. it you know, she went to St. Giles in Carrick Tool, had a lovely experience. Sadly, she was one of the Leaving Cert kids of the first year of COVID. So she actually didn't do a Leaving Cert in the end. She was yeah. predicted grades. And uh, she has, I think, a, a huge amount of grief that she never got to say goodbye to her teachers and everything, you know. So mm-hmm. it was a very positive experience for her. But Did, did you ever talk to her, Mavo? Because I was interested in that. Did, did, you yeah. ever, did you ever talk to her? Did you ever ask her, well, which did you prefer, being at home here with me or being inside in school? Yeah, well, just to clarify, like she wasn't at home with me. She, I think the easiest way for people to understand it might be what life is like for a family during the summer holidays. So teenagers aren't at home with their parents during the summer holidays. You know, they're off doing things. She had, you know, she had jobs. She used to volunteer in um, Ballymaloo Gardens. She uh, worked with an art teacher um, after school. Yeah. Minding kids, you know, um, she was involved in ballet and football. She was in a choir. She traveled with a choir to New York when she was 13 uh, without me. <laughs> she, um, you know, she... she no, she no, I, I wasn't thinking. I was just wondering what she thought, whether she felt that an actual organized school day compared to yes. you. And I would say to you, Eve, and this would be my observation... And I said this before I brought you on, and I mean it with every fibre of my being. I'm not qualified to teach my children the time of day. You were, a, you were a primary teacher, and you also taught at second level. That sets you on a different level to me in terms of, I am not qualified to homeschool. Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose I can see where you're coming from, but I don't agree with that myself. I mean, I actually think the ability of humans to learn is, is it's phenomenal. I mean, the humans wouldn't have survived <laughs> without being able to learn. And it wasn't always by being taught. I mean, education in Ireland is, you know, uh, only there since like the 1830s or something. Primary school education started. People still were very erudite and they all 
people's brains are different. So some might be great at making things. Mm-hmm. Some might be great at storytelling. Some might be great at uh, learning Latin. You know, it varies hugely. And I suppose I just believe in people's ability to learn from their world. Obviously, you know, myself and my husband, David, we parented our kids as 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 most parents do. So we brought them to places. We went to concerts. We went to social events. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, it mm-hmm. isn't that we, uh, you know, abdicated our responsibility as parents oh no 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 not for for a moment or or that any of the other parents who homeschool do we I mean I never taught them per se when they were younger I mean we didn't need to what did you do about books for example Kate wants to know books yeah well I mean our house you know our house was filled with books, but uh, and you know there's libraries, there's there's writing everywhere. Even kids on 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 um, you know online now these days they have to, they want to be able to read because they want to find out stuff. So it happens quite organically, you know. Um, obviously, anytime they ask us questions, we're going to answer it or we're going to point things out. But I never had to say, you know, we never did a let's sit at the table and do our phonics. You know, we didn't need to. I mean. I suppose, apart from anything else, four are so young to be doing that. Yeah, You'll often find when people are left organically, they may not begin to read later, but suddenly they're voracious readers mm. because there is a lot of less maybe of the the stress uh, around it. And also that it's it, they're coming to it when their brain is ready. So reading readiness would be taught and train in college a lot, you know, in the, yeah. the university. But, but there you see, it, it there, there, there you're answering my question, Maeve. Sorry to cut across you. You're answering my question there. You, you mentioned the, the thing of reading readiness, and that's something that you learnt when you were training as a teacher. I never learned that. I wouldn't have a notion. No, but I mean, they're just words for what you would figure out fairly quickly is, oh, they're not interested in reading at the moment. Let's leave them alone. You know, suddenly they are interested. And I mean, I've heard parents talk. I I heard a woman once at a conference. She had unschooled her four boys. They were all adults now. But she said they all learned to read at different times, you know, just organically, as I was saying. So. Uh, one of them hadn't still in any sort of serious way begun reading at age 12. You know, I mean, if he was in the school system, I think, you know, that would be affecting his self-esteem quite a lot. But she was and she was a bit nervous. And she, and then I think it was something like um, he got into football and being able to read the results. And suddenly it, the code clicked and pretty Pretty soon he was voraciously devouring books because I suppose it was he had no negative associations around that delay. Mm-hmm. And he actually ended up doing a PhD in library wow. science. Wow. You know? wow. So <laughs> it's, I suppose I've heard a lot of those stories. So I go, oh, we just have to rethink uh, the whole situation. You know, yeah. things happen differently. You know, there's diversity in our world and um, in people's yeah. brains. How, how about schedules? Schedule. One thing I, when I go back to my school days, distant enough in the past as they are, a couple of things I learned. I learned socialization and how to meet and deal with strangers, but I learned how to structure my day, how to economize my time, how to manage my concentration. How did your kids learn that? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, well, when I was in school, I mean, I didn't have autonomy. So learning to structure your day, it it wasn't me learning to structure my day. It was a a structure being imposed on me, whether it suited 
me or not, you yeah. know. So I, I think that, uh, funnily enough, my... my but uh, isn't that what the real world well, does, Maeve? The world of work, for example, imposes yeah, a structure yeah. on your day. And you have, to, you have to work with that structure. Oh, you do. No, absolutely. But I mean, I think things coming from yourself are always preferable. Uh, so, for instance, when my my eldest daughter there went to for to apply to do an internship with a, a car company there in her third year, and they said they were very keen on somebody who could um, uh, structure their own day and sort of work away on their own and not be you know, imp- impeding on them all the time. And she said to them, look, I was homeschooled. I know how to structure my time. I, I'm good at self-directed learning. Um, and she got the job um, mm. and, you know, is thriving there. So I found that interesting because I suppose I'm seeing that now. I mean, I wasn't sure that they'd be able to, but they seem to be able right. to do that. Is it, is it difficult to be objective as well? What I mean by that is at some point throughout her schooling, we must be tested on that which we know or don't. And it's, is it, as a parent, is it difficult to be objective if your son or daughter is getting stuff wrong. Oh, gosh, of course, of course, um, us parents, (laughs) are we ever um, objective when it comes to our children? No, absolutely. But I think the point is, you know, you go into school and in first year you might be doing 13 subjects. And the reality is there are very few children that are, you know, going to be happy and and well able to learn 13 different areas you know and and a lot of them are writing and reading which is one part of your brain anyway Mm -hmm. so really do you know do we need uh, i suppose like what you would hope is that people would begin to find their passion and their areas Mm -hmm. of expertise and what they're good at and we would have a society where people have good self-esteem and good mental health and um are able to work away and and find what what gives them passion in life? Yeah. Lastly, what did you think of what? I, we, we know that the Burke family were all homeschooled and you could make of that what you will. But what did you make of the Tarnished's comments that he said that it was disquieting that the Burke family were in such a situation and he believes that people should be educated in schools. He's not a great fan of homeschooling. He thinks children needs to socialise. It's he didn't make the direct link, but he was, I think, suggesting. Look, the Burks are a problem. Maybe this is why. Why would you think? Uh, PJ, I was just so disappointed. I really was. I, I mean, I have met Michal and Martin. He went to Skull Creasery, which was where I taught for so 10 years. So did I. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I, you know, he's a man who studied history. I consider him to be quite, um, I, I mean, I've been very proud of him and a lot a of years. When I, exactly. When I've looked, when I've looked around the world and the way politics is going, the populist nature of politics, um, I just felt he was very calm and measured. And I've been very proud of him. And this was such a throwaway, casual comment. I also felt it was denigrating the Constitution. And I think that's because, of course, it's in the Constitution that the family is the primary educator of the child and they can choose to educate them inside a system or out. And I think it's very important that our um, officials, that our government, that our courts uphold um, our constitution. 
uh, to think that he he was in America um, where homeschooling is, you know, widespread and longstanding and that he just chose that moment mm. to make an attack on a minority group. And my youngest daughter, Melody... Well, was it an attack, Maeve, or maybe an now. observation? He said they have a... Referring to the Borks, yeah. he said they had a very isolated perspective in life and everybody else is wrong. And he was mentally linking that, perhaps, with homeschooling. Yeah, no, he spoke about, you know, one person. I mean, I think when it comes to racism and prejudice, often people will equate the exception um, and from that, say, this is the case for everyone. You know, I mean, Irish people are often associated with drunkenness because of a few. Or, you know, we can think of an example in every minority group. So he took one minority group and uh, he insulted them, really. And and my youngest daughter, Melody, said, Mom, I can't believe you would insult a whole community like that. I think the young people found it really shocking because it's very okay. personal. I mean, my children aren't in school anymore, but, you know, they, you know, they were part of that world. They had a good childhood. You know, people do strange things. There are unusual people in the world. Murderers, social recluses, psychopaths have been through school systems, yet we wouldn't dream of blaming uh, the school for that, okay. you know. So I, I, I was really, really disappointed at Michal Martin. Okay. And Ali, really, I, I, I just think, I, I, I'm sorry, you're okay. there, just to say, I'm also a contact um, for the Home Education Network, HEN, uh, just where, I've just, I do it voluntarily, that parents who are thinking of homeschool would ring to talk, to talk with me, you know, before they do it, or, you know, if they're just looking for some advice. And I, like, I'm in Cork, and so... All the calls I get are from Cork people, which is Michal's constitu- constituency. And um, like uh, on average, every single week, I'm getting at least one call and talking for a few hours with somebody. Many of those are because their children are not thriving. Okay. Of course, I know there's lots of kids thriving in school. But for those who are not thriving and who coming out of the school system could help them, even if it were only temporarily or if it were forever, it's it's really important they have that okay. option. And schools have not had money put into them. Um, I know many teachers, you know, it's a hard system. There, there isn't the time or the space to to take care of individual yes. needs so often, even though they would love to. And a lot of families you know, do make that choice and there are various ways in which you can make that choice and you can, if you wish to in this country, I'll go through it in a little while, maybe the legalities of it, because you can actually quite easily homeschool your children. Leave it there for no reason other than time. I have something else to get to. Maeve O'Leary, thank you very, very much. If you are homeschooling your children, if you were homeschooled, I'd love to talk to you because I genuinely wouldn't be able. I really would not be able. Are we a nation of cokeheads? There's a question. We've been called a nation of alcoholics and overdrinkers and all of that. Are we a nation of of cokeheads? A new report from the UN has come up with a very frightening statistic about Irish people. We are amongst the biggest users of cocaine in the world. I have the chart in front of me. We're way up there. 
That's next. 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Of the marketing and sale of the drug has, and it's not just cocaine. I mean, it's, it's, it's other drugs as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this report is focused on cocaine. And it does seem to be, uh, you know, when you do ask people, do they use other drugs? A lot of people who attend me, they don't tend to use other drugs and maybe they haven't used drugs in the past, you know, so you have a lot of people initiating drug use where they haven't used drugs before. Yeah. So that's, that is worrying that piece of it. Is it becoming a drug of choice, Colin, rather than, than booze? Are people starting, if you want, starting on cocaine who never took a drink in their life? Uh, I, w- I, I probably more you know, people talk about cannabis being a gateway drug. I, I've, you know, in recent years, talk about alcohol being the gateway drug. You kind of see a lot of people um, who ordinarily wouldn't wouldn't go near cocaine, but after you know a fair few drinks, would say, Do you know what, I I will give that a try. And um, that's the availability piece. Then comes in if if there is a lot of you know, a lot of cocaine around, then it makes that possibility, um, you know, more likely to happen. So if cocaine wasn't so available after a load of drink, people might, you know, that prospect isn't there. So um, it really does keep coming back to that issue of availability and the amount of it out there. We hear anecdotally anyway that young people who go to the gym regularly, that they're avoiding alcohol because they'll put on weight. They'll choose cocaine or ecstasy or something else like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's definitely worrying. I mean, the, the there's been long, I mean, if you go back to, I don't know, certainly when I was in London, um, two decades ago, the tabloids were always focused on, there was Kate Moss, and um, I think she talked about having a diet of alcohol and cocaine for 10 years, solid. But I mean, you know, the modeling industry, for instance, and body con- conscious industries, the gym and and that is, you know, has always been associated with stimulants and, and cocaine in particular. But um, again, if it's very available and people don't want to, I mean, if you look at the calorific 
compare our our, our uh, um, conversions on 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 alcohol. I mean, uh, there's a there's a famous chart that looks at the conversions into cheeseburgers for for pints or for for glasses of wine, yeah. you know. And so it's huge. I mean, the 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 calorific um, uh, hit with 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 a feed of alcohol is huge. So uh, for some people, yes, uh, the prospect of not going down that road is very attractive mm-hmm. with a stimulant. It is often said, Colin, that if alcohol were invented now, it would be banned overnight. Uh, compare the two, because look, alcohol is, shall we just call it my own drug of choice. I was out last weekend, I had a fair few drinks. Um, it's my would be my drug of choice. I have never in, in, indulged in cocaine or anything else in my entire life. But which is the more dangerous of the two, in your opinion? Well, the, uh, I, I, there's a guy called David Nutt in the UK who was the former drug czar um, in the UK until he was fired, must be 20 years ago now, based on his comments on ecstasy. Um, he was asked to retract them. He didn't retract them, and he was subsequently fired. Um, he made the statement that ecstasy was, was taking ecstasy was safer than horse riding. Um, which in statistically was probably the case, but uh, after the deaths at the time, it was it was uh, politically um, very insensitive. Um, inter- the same guy is actually um, has developed what's called a GABAergic agent, an alcohol substitute, and the reason he's done that and he wants to market it, uh, or sorry, he is marketing and he wants it to be brought in. Um, you know, uh, across society is that alcohol, his studies, which have been published in the Lancet Journal, are very clear that alcohol is the leading uh, drug in terms of harm, both to self and others. So the first time he did the study, he wasn't believed or wasn't accepted. And they said, do it again. And he did it again with composite measures of harm to both self and others. And again, that was published in the Lancet. And it showed that alcohol was indeed the most deadly drug above others. Now, you might say, well, in what way? How could it be more harmful than cocaine or crack cocaine or heroin? It, it really comes down to, yeah, you know, the, the, the harm to the body, harm mm. to, you know, fights. If you look at any A&Es, um, road traffic accidents, sexual assault, acquisitive crime, muggings, um, you know everything really. Uh, when you put all of that into the into the pot, alcohol comes out on top. Um, so to 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 try and replace it with something where you don't get this exponential intoxication, the more you drink, the more likely you are to end up in fights and all sorts of stuff, would be better. Um, but that's the reality. Yes, that the 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 most harmful drug yeah. at the moment is 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 readily available in pubs. What is the age profile of people, Professor, who get in real trouble with cocaine? I read another statistic about people in their 50s and 60s trying it for the first time and getting hooked on it. Is it young people? Is it older people? Could it be anybody? It's definitely anybody. And, you know, the there's definitely a trend towards uh, in recent years towards people taking the drug who haven't taken the drug before. Um, you know, 50s and 60s you know, one, I mean, addiction is, has many different causations. One of them is trauma and pain, and people may have been on other medications. And again, if the drug is available, somebody may have been taking psychiatric medications for many years. They're not particularly effective in some cases, and people will look elsewhere. And uh, we've seen that in the case of cannabis and pain. 
um, where other, you know, painkillers don't work and people resort to taking cannabis. Um, but in in some cases, um, people will will try cocaine, and for the first while, it it may present a solution because people will feel better. But the problem with cocaine is it just it's not something that people can take long term because of its addictive potential, yeah. and it just leads to people running into all sorts of difficulties. Because yeah, we hear a lot anecdotally about small taking it being taken in in the back of boardrooms before important meetings because it sharpens your concentration. I don't know if any of that is true, but that's what you hear. Well, all stimulants will have a short-term effect of, you know, of, of increasing concentration, but it also increases a whole loads of other things like blood pressure and, um, you know, it affects all kinds of circulation and it'll also inc- um, increase the possibility of stroke. So, um, the the stories, PJ, that we hear all the time is that for a period of time, the drug works for whatever reason. So it can be an elixir for stress, for pain, for, um, you know, being lethargic during the day. But the problem is there's only a short period there before uh, you need to take more of the drug to have the same desired yeah. effect. That's How quickly can you go down that road? Oh, it's rapid. And I mean, in the case of crack cocaine, it's even worse. So in weeks, basically, with crack cocaine, probably months with cocaine. And the, but the diff that the problem is some people are more genetically predisposed to a rapid escalation of intake, and nobody knows until you take it. That's the problem, yeah. is that some people are just really prone to lose it basically with cocaine, and um, they end up with us quite rapidly. So some of the histories can be literally somebody in their fifties or sixties haven't taken it for five or six months, and they're with us. And, and and at the end of that, for several months, they've been taking twenty four seven round the clock, and so it's, so it's not, you know, once a week. It yeah. it, it escalates from yeah. weekend use into weekday, and then twenty four seven. Yeah, Saturday night after four or five pints, r- rapidly becomes every night and every morning. In some PJ, and I mean, I can't, I can't say to you, you know, that's the oh case no, that's that's, that's the point. How how rapidly you know? can it be? But you're saying weeks. Oh, absolutely, and some right. people. But, you know, but in others, PJ, they've been taking cocaine for 30 years and they'll yeah. claim without a problem. So, yeah. you know, we have to, you know, take a balanced approach to there's, it. There's, and, there's and, kind and, of like, and, the, it's not kind of like, there is that comparison, isn't there, with, with alcohol, Colin, in that, you know, I love a few pints on a Saturday night, but I'm not horsing them down seven nights a week and I certainly don't need them. But it's ha- yeah. the, the next fella down the road might not be so lucky. Correct, and 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 there is a it's on a spectrum, and some people. But you know, I'd always talk about the you know some people will claim, look, I take this drug and it's not a problem. Really, if you if if you really de- delve in there, you know, could people be doing more adaptive things with their time rather than spending, you know, interacting with dealers, spending you know vast amounts of money? If you really talk to people like that, and I talk to a lot of people in that situation because they're not sure if they're addicted or not, they come to see me. Um, they, if they're really honest, they'll say, yeah, actually, I could be spending my time doing better things and probably feeling a little bit better midweek and I'd have a lot more money in my back pocket, you know? And lastly, there's the association with crime and particularly organised crime. Do people realise how deep into it they are? Well, I mean, the thing is structured in such a way that people don't need, really need to get into that. But So what I mean is it's sophisticated and that if you're paying your bills, it's, there is no interaction with crime. 
there is no problem and everybody's happy, um, uh, including the criminals. But uh, the problems arise when people can't pay their bills. Yeah. And if they have received cocaine, uh, um, you know, with the, with the, with the, on the basis that they're going to pay at a later date. And that really is a lot of the young people that we see, um, you know, it, it, it it's on a spectrum again, but it can vary. And, and, and kids can run up a lot of, you know, several thousand euro over a few months. Wow. And, um, you know, the, the various forms of violence then can, can kick in, which can affect not only the person, but many people around that and, and probably most likely parents, you know. Nasty people arriving at the parents' front door. Thank you very much, Professor Colin O'Gara, who's consultant psychiatrist and head of addiction services at St. John of God's Hospital. That survey from the, thank you, Colin, that survey from the United Nations. I just mentioned on the presentation of statistics, and I I don't like this, where they say more than one in 40 people reported using cocaine. I'd like to know how many they actually spoke to. We know from Dr. O'Gara it is a problem and a serious one. But I don't like that presentation of statistics. More than one in 40 people. How many did they ask? I'd like to know that. 0818, I'm just quirky about numbers. 0818, 96, 96, 96. What's happening on Patrick's Key? They say on the phone, we're stuck for 15 minutes and we haven't moved. Have you seen the nice new bicycle lane down one side and all the road works up on the other side? That's kind of not helping your situation, but I take your point. On Mihal Martin and homeschooling. Michal should not have brought the Borks into the debate about homeschooling. That was a disgrace. And John O'Donovan says, while there is a case going through the courts, the Taoiseach should refrain from offering opinions on the way of life of anybody involved. Secondly, it's his job to defend the legal right of parents to educate their children. If he intends on changing that, suddenly springing this opinion in the middle of a controversial situation and court case is not the way. The topic should be introduced and debated with some decorum. Thanks, John. I must look at the ways you can go about homeschooling your children. It actually is easier than you think. And and the bit that does rankle a bit with me, and I, I, I've talked to Maeve, fantastic perspective, fantastic understanding, and I've learned a lot from talking to Maeve, but Maeve's a teacher. She's a qualified teacher. And I say again, I wouldn't know where to start homeschooling a child and I think a lot of people felt that during COVID because they rang me and they said I don't know what to do PJ I haven't a clue what to do what am I going to do I'm not a teacher 0818 96 96 96 another set of statistics in which we don't do too badly or we don't do as well as Finland Next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Win, win. Join Simon Murdoch on Cork's 96 FM for your chance to win with the IRFU Charitable Trust Monster Golf Outing Friday, June 23rd at Fota Island. We've got 100 euro one-for-all vouchers to give away every day thanks to Pinergy plus an overall prize of a four-ball at Fota Island Golf Resort with overnight stay thanks to Fota Island Resort. This Monster Golf Outing will have special guests, great prizes, a charity raffle and auction all in aid of the IRFU 
charitable trust and seriously injured rugby players. Listen from midday to win only on Cork's 96FM. The World Happiness Report. There is such a thing. They compile it over three-year blocks. So they use three years' worth of data. And they look at various countries based on the state of their economy, state of their social welfare system, if they have such a thing, life expectancy, your personal freedoms, the generosity of people, kindness of people, and, and many other factors. And they compile all this over three years, and then they publish the figures every year for the previous three. For the last six years now, Finland has come out on top as the happiest country in the world. We rank at number 15 in the latest chart, which has been published. Not too bad. I'll give you some other European figures at the moment. It's not exactly dancing in the streets now, to be fair. Um, it's, it's, it's are we content with our lot in life? Robert Brooks uh, is a man with very strong core connections living in Finland. For how long, Robert? Morning to you. Good morning, good morning. How long have you been there? I've been in Finland. I've been in Finland now, uh, just over half of my life, so uh, twenty-five years altogether. Okay. I've been here. And yeah. why is it that people seem to be so happy with the state of their life in Finland? Yeah, um, it's a funny word to use. I've, I've always had a bit of an issue with this. You know, the world's happiest nation. Um, happy is, you know, quite a relative term. What's what your happiness is, what my happiness is. That that probably a bit different i wouldn't say that that fins are happy in a kind of like over dancing in the street sense as, as you just said i think that many finnish people are content with their lives that i think you know many people have uh, a reasonably good life here a good standard of living they have all the things they need um that are problems of course it's far from perfect it's not utopia for sure but you know, you know, you there's a very kind of there's a good sense of, of fairness and equality in the country. Um, even if you don't have um, a lot of money, uh, even if you if you're living on on um, on you know the so, the social system for whatever reason, then you can still have a good quality of life. Uh, there's this kind of um, idea in Finland that everyone has the right to a roof over their head, so that, you know there's not much homelessness at all because. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, people people have the right to housing, for example. There's a very uh, current one now, Robert, and I'm sure you'll know the state of the housing crisis in, in, in here at home. What's, what yeah. happens to someone in Finland who might run the risk of being of becoming homeless? Um, well, I don't know a great deal about it, only what I've read in the papers, yeah, but it's what I understand... What I, what I understand is that in Finland, um, you are given um, a house, a, pl- a place to live, um, because you have the right to a roof over your head. Uh, so you're given the place to live first, and then you have to try and sort of meet certain criteria. Okay. So, for example, I know I don't know about Ireland, but in the UK, where I'm from, then then it works the other way. You have to kind of prove your worth, so to speak, first. Prove you can hold down a job, and and you know pay whatever and then you're given the opportunity to get a house and what they've done in Finland is exactly the opposite they give you the house first so that that's taken care of you don't need to worry about that and then you kind of have to sort of you know hold down a job and and these kind of things so it's sort of um, they reward you first so to speak so we say look we we understand you have problems we understand that this is your lot in life now you Mm. go live there there's your front door key there's the roof over your head and we'll work with you then to solve the other problems 
Exactly. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. And there's been there's been interest. I mean, I, I know the, the the mayor the mayor of Manchester. I don't know if he's still mayor, but a couple of years ago in in the newspapers, the mayor of Manchester came over to. Obviously, Manchester has a big problem with homelessness, and uh, the mayor came over to see what the Finns were doing and how how they were doing things. I remember it being in the papers. He was saying that you know this is exactly the opposite of what we're doing in the UK, and and we should look at Finland for for inspiration. You know, it's and does the state build you know, houses you can, then? Does the state build houses and build accommodation to put people into like that? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of housing housing available. There's houses being built all the time, and what what Finland has done is um, they've tried to avoid the kind of, um, for want of a better term, like the slumification of large cities. So, so rather than having kind of like separate areas for people, you know, instead of having like kind of rich areas and poor areas, although those do exist, of course, but it's more like kind of in- integrated that that you can have in the same housing estate, you could have people who own their own houses and then you could have people who are who uh, live in council rented accommodation in, in the same estate. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, it, that also kind of equalises the, the playing field in a way, you know, there's a sort of we've, sense we've, of equality. We've, we've got that here in places, but we don't. what we don't have is the, the idea that you get the house or the flat first mm. and then we'll help you to solve your problems. Yeah. On employment and work, I mean, we've got almost full employment here right now, but what's the situation yeah. like in Finland? Uh, it's not full employment, but that it, there's uh, employment. Unemployment is uh, is is not too bad. Um, there's lots of opportunities uh, in Finland. There's um, there's you know the, the tech scene over here is is booming and has been for for a while. Uh, one of the challenges uh, in Finland is um, your level of education. That the Finns on average are very well educated. Education here is free right the way up to PhD level. So you can you can educate yourself to a very high standard, and many people do. And so then you have a, a workforce that is extremely well educated, um, and then there's there's huge competition for jobs. So that, that's that's it's not the problem that there's not jobs. There's just so much competition for jobs that you know it's it's, it's it can be tough to to get a job, and particularly for foreigners, because what happens is that foreigners come to Finland um, often to study because like it's free, as I said. And then um, they get themselves qualified, but then they find it difficult to get into the workplace. Right. Um, they may well be qualified, but if they don't speak the language, for example, that's that's been a bit of a sort of perennial, right. perennial issue that that you know if you don't speak the language, it can be difficult to get a job. Um, and and what often happens is that people get educated, try to f- get a job, fit into Finnish society, but then can't, and then actually end up leaving, which yeah. is. Which is Terrible waste. Free education sounds wonderful, and the provision of all that housing mm. sounds great. That's got to be paid for, though. I would think, Robert, through a, a tax. What's the cost of yeah, living of like? Course. What's taxes like? Is um, it very, cost, cost, cost of living. It's expensive here. Yeah, it is expensive. It's like everywhere. It's been going up more and more over the past uh, past year or so. Um, we are. We do pay taxes. We probably don't pay as much taxes as people think. There's a there's a bit of a kind of a, a myth about you know the, the taxes in, in the in the Nordic countries. Um, tax goes according to your earnings. So if you don't earn much money, then you don't pay much tax. Um, you know it's kind of the, the more you earn, the more you pay. Um, you can write off all sorts of things on your tax to bring your tax percentage down. But um, yeah, we do we do pay we do pay taxes, of course, but it's not quite as high as you might think. It's probably more than than Ireland in the UK, but not a lot more. Well, it's a bit not like a what more. happens here, though. You, you the more you are, the more you earn, the more the the taxman takes off of you. There's, there's a parallel. There. Yeah, yeah. Do you get back to court yeah. much? You have very strong roots. I've not been back since before uh, the pandemic. Um, it's 
yeah, I've been wanting to come back, but I've just not had the opportunity. The, the the pandemic kind of changed, well, it changed everything for everyone, didn't it? And it's kind of changed my priorities quite a bit. Yeah. So I've not had the chance to go back. I'd love to come back. What, what, are, the, what are the roots? Uh, what are the cork roots? The cork roots are that my we, we were over there. The whole family came over exactly 10 years ago. My wife uh, was asked to come over and work on a project in Cork. And so um, she was she was going to go on her own, and then we sort of talked about it, and we thought, what the hell, let's take the whole family. So we had three kids, and we all moved over and uh, put the kids in school, and we were there for a couple of months. And we just had we just had a great experience. Everyone everyone had a good experience there. And uh, and then I got involved in all sorts of things after that as well. We, we came back to Finland, and, and life carried on as normal, but I kind of maintained these connections. So I was doing all sorts of social media stuff with Cork, and, and uh, then was invited back to talk at a conference, um, and just, you know, just kind of was just involved in all sorts of things to do with court. But then, then the pandemic came and then, you know, life got, life Very changed. Different. And my, my, yeah, my priorities had to change. And so I've not had the chance to come back. But Does everyone still have a Nokia in Finland? Someone wants to know. Does everybody still have a Nokia? A Nokia? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> iPhone, Samsung, you name No, no, no. Nokia, Nokia's still there. This still has a, it still has a place oh, in Finland, but no, everyone's got an iPhone or a Samsung nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, good chatting with you. Thank you very much, Robert Brooks. Uh, lives in Finland, lived there for many, many years. Strong Cork connections. Grew up in Manchester. Interesting fella. I could talk to him all day. But they've heard so much about that housing system in the States. So, or, sorry, in Finland. So what would happen is you go into the city hall and you say, I'm about to be evicted. I, I I can't find anywhere to go. I'm in trouble. And they say, come with us. And they say, see that? You move in there. There's flat number 17B. You're in 17B. And we'll solve everything else for you then. We'll help you. We'll put a roof over your head first before you have to deal with any of these other problems. That's the Finnish system. And they build all the time. Thousands and thousands and thousands. Like we, so much of what they do in Finland now is what we did here when we hadn't an arse in our trousers. We built public housing and put people into them. It's just, that's what we did. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Yeah, so we Ireland came in, just on that whole happiness thing, just to wrap it up, Ireland came in 15th on that happiness chart behind uh, Finland. But we did very well compared to our, our neighbours. The gang across the pond in the UK were 17. 17th. Germany were hired this. The Germans, 13th most happy people in the world. Portugal and Spain, vastly different. Spain, 27. Portugal, 57 places. How on earth did that happen? I mean, the two countries are tied on to one another, like. France, 21. So Spain... Greece, 67th in the world. Italy, 28th in 
the world. So France, 21st, Spain, 27th, Italy, 28th, Portugal, 57th, and Greece, 67th, happiest in the world. Uh, yeah, the Af- Afghanistan and Lebanon are deemed to be the least happy countries in the world, which is kind of easy to understand why that would be the case. 0818 96 96 96. We were talking recently to uh, both Una Ring and Eve McDowell of stalkingireland.ie, both of whom the victims of stalkers. Uh, Una was stalked by a work colleague. He is still in jail. Eve was stalked by a fellow student. He is out of jail now and out too early for new legislation to apply. And the first study of people who've been stalked or harassed is being published today and it's revealing how it affects them on a number of different uh, number of different headings. It also finds that most of the perpetrators were known to the victim. Like they might have been partner, ex-partner, acquaintance, friend, colleague, ex work colleague Um, now there was a considerable number of strangers involved but quite a lot of people were stalked by someone that they know and that's just a number or one of a number of findings in this report and over a thousand people took part in compiling the evidence Dr Kira Staunton from the UCC Department of Psychology uh, is the person who's been compiling this report I think uh, Eve and Una worked with you on it did they Kira? good morning to you Good morning, PJ. Uh, well, listen, Eve and Una were the catalysts for this research. Um, it was based on their vocal lobbying after their cases a couple of years ago that led to us to undertake this research in consultation with them. What we really wanted to do was give voice to those who have experienced this crime and provide the evidence to support the arguments that they were making. Because at the end of the day, Eve's story is Eve's story and Una's is hers. Um, and we we were convinced that there's so many other people out there who are experiencing this crime that may not recognise, first of all, that it is a crime. And secondly, the seriousness of the nature of the behaviours yeah. that are being perpetrated against them. As you said, and you're quite right, Una's story is Una's story. Eve's is Eve's story. Over a thousand people took part. That means many hundreds of different stories. And what I suspect you're looking for, Kira, is patterns. Did you find any? Uh, precisely. Well, I think, first of all, we were actually quite taken aback by the level of responses, first and foremost. We thought really when this survey was launched that it would be a couple of hundred. So even that, even though we don't have prevalence studies of stalking in this country, this alone would indicate that it is far more common than what we were led to believe. And this is people who do recognise the behaviours as being unwarranted or threatening or abusive and self-selecting to take the survey in the first place. So that is interesting. But yes, you're right. It's exactly that. We wanted to unearth the process of stalking and see if there are patterns to the behaviours or what would be the most frequently reported kinds of behaviours associated with this. And what we find is there are four categories, really. The first, those unwanted behaviours. So the common stalking behaviours, being followed, being approached, the person loitering around your house, spying on you potentially, making consistent and persistent unwanted approaches to you or your friends. Those are very prevalent among the behaviours. More worrying, we have more explicit threats um, and abuse, abusive behaviours. So threatening to harm you, 
threatening to harm themselves around the victim or the respondent. And this is what this is a, a very malicious mm. tactic because it's really um, emotionally mm-hmm. controlling. If you, if you don't go out with me, I'll hurt myself. Exactly, exactly. That kind of insidious control, you know, uh, very like coercive control here. So some of these hallmark behaviours, they are designed to undermine the respondent. They are designed to transfer that emotional piece so that the person feels responsible. And this is what ultimately leads the victim to feeling fear, to feeling distrustful um, of not only that individual, but any other subsequent individuals or relationships that they might want to form. Because again, as you allude to, PJ, in the vast majority of cases, the individual being threatened can identify who is perpetrating these behaviours against him or her. And I have that's to, I have to that was the most that, that for me was the most disturbing element of the findings as I've read them so far, Kira. In that, mm. and we know for years that a huge number of people who are sexually assaulted, for example are sexually assaulted by somebody that they know, it would appear stalking is the same. It would appear that it's the very same. Um, and it's kind of part of that broader context of gender-based violence, that that is consistent internationally. And what this study has shown is that Ireland is no different in that regard, that in the vast majority of cases, that the person perpetrating these criminal acts are in fact known to the individual, which I think makes it difficult from a policing perspective, because it's very easy to report a crime to the Garda yes. Shikona yes. when you can say it's a stranger, there is a strange man in the majority of cases let's call a spade a spade the perpetrators are men in the main there's a strange man loitering outside my home there's a strange man showing up at my place of work I'm starting to get these gifts I don't know where they're coming from I suspect so that's easy to sell that story to a member of a Garda Shukana versus those same behaviours being perpetrated by somebody who is likely to be a current or an ex-partner because it takes on a different significance doesn't it and how do you start to prove that what these behaviours are obsessive they're fixated on me they're Mm -hmm. unwanted uninitiated in fact many of our respondents had gone to the effort to ask the person to stop because they know the person but that is in vain because again the motivations of the offender are different Ever since her very very first interview with me, Una has consistently Mm. said that when she went to the guards, they were brilliant. Is is that a general finding or what's the finding? The findings there are mixed, sadly. So it would appear that Una was extraordinarily lucky and it it just highlights, I mean, we have a fantastic police force in the main and I, you know, I, I want to be cautious of how I present these findings. But the findings from our respondents are mixed. Of those who did report the Garda Shukona, um, some were able to report a very positive experience, but others didn't. And I think that may be due to a lack of awareness and a lack of training on the part of the Garda Shukona, rather than them trying to be difficult in any way, shape or form. So they just mightn't have that knowledge to recognise that what this person is telling me should be taken seriously. And that will be one of the big recommendations from our research is, first of all, for those who report that that they're believed and that they're taken seriously and that something can be done about it. And what this new legislation will do will empower the Gardaí to actually do something about it before these crimes escalate, because that is exactly what we see in the process. You see an escalation in the behaviours, you see an escalation in the level of threat. And we also know from other studies 
when it comes to homicide and the murder of women, that stalking and coercive control and these kinds of behaviours retrospectively were present in those relationships. You mentioned psychological damage if you, that the, the, the report looks into that and I remember Una I, I'm, I'm coming back to Una all the time because I've spoken to her so many yeah. times at this point so many times yeah she, she said to me at one stage that she was fully convinced and her blood ran cold she was fully convinced she'd seen James Steele in Aldi she knew he absolutely could not possibly be there but she was still convinced she'd seen him I imagine that's common enough Listen, that is a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and, and that is one of the consequences um, of these kinds of behaviours. So we really cannot underestimate the damaging effects that this has on those who are subjected to them. They range from physical, social, financial, right through to the most severe psychological consequences. We have large proportions of our respondents admitting to self-harming behaviours and suicidal attempts and ideation. I mean, it doesn't get more extreme than that. At the lower end, you have, of course, that sense of anxiety, that sense of fear, but that's exactly what the perpetrator is trying to do. Interestingly, I would say as well, you know, many respondents were angry. And Mm. you can understand that because, again, they might know the person and this person is being a real nuisance at one end of the spectrum. And, you know, so being angry and annoyed and frustrated because you can't do anything about it or you may seem powerless. And hopefully new legislation and bringing awareness through this study and campaigning and bringing this information to light will actually empower those who are being subjected to these behaviours to be more vocal about it and to be believed and for somebody else to step in as well. So again, just empowering people around what to call out, being able to call out bad behaviour for what it is before it escalates. That brings me nicely to my last question. This extraordinary body of research, and I look forward to to reading further into it. The summary enough, it makes me want to read more. Um, What's going to happen with it? Where's it going to go? Who's going to use it and for what? Well, hopefully when the law is enacted, that will immediately give powers um, of arrest and new legislation, which, as I say, will allow the Gardaí to act, that they will have tools at their disposal that previously um, this was all hidden within the harassment legislation. So we really need to surface that and train the Gardaí so that they are fully aware of what exactly stalking involves. And I think that's where this research will be very helpful because we can support the Gardaí in training them and highlighting the processes, highlighting the hidden motivations of the offenders um, so that the kinds of behaviours, while they may seem like nuisance behaviours, we would be able to point to, look, when these are repeated and persistent over time, what you are looking at is a real red flag for risk. And that is my job as a psychologist to provide tools for professionals that they can assess that risk appropriately and then intervene instead of waiting, as some respondents might say, something actually has to be physically done to me before I will be taken seriously. Okay, listen, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to Dr. Kira Staunton um, from the UCC Department of Psychology. That research published today, uh, stalking.ie is Una and... um, Eve's website, Mary Quilly involved with that as well, of course. But that uh, research out today, stalkingireland.ie is the website. 0818 96 96 96, a huge number of people stalked by somebody that they know. How often, how long has Mary Quilly and her colleagues been saying the huge numbers of people who are sexually abused or assaulted 
by someone that they know it will appear the exact same as the case in stalking a thousand people submitted their own story for that piece of research that's a thousand very brave people who came forward and submitted their own story 0818 we all love Irish music and the artists that make it. Cork's 96FM is proud to support Irish Music Month throughout March by promoting the amazing work of Irish artists. Across the country, independent radio with Hot Press is spotlighting Irish music and paying Irish artists over €100,000 to play and perform for us. We're committed to promoting Irish music. Are you? Irish Music Month, proudly supported by Hot Press, IBI and the BAI Sound and Vision Fund. On Cork's 96FM. Mention this earlier this morning that astronomical, just for people who were interested astronomical spring started at 24 minutes past 9 last night and I have an app on my phone to prove it there's a fabulous picture which I'm going to rob from social media and share myself uh, later on today is the equinox and this only happens twice a year, it happens in March and it happens in September, late September, and the world is, half the world is bright and half the world is dark at the very same time. And the length of the day today is the very length, same length as the night tonight. Sunrise to sunset is the same length of time as sunset to sunrise for one night only, and the same happens in late September. It's called the equinox. And then they'll put the clocks forward next Saturday and mess the, mess the whole thing up again for a couple of weeks. Just just thought you'd like to know. Some people don't care. I like it. 0818 96 96 96. That joint policing committee meeting uh, was held yesterday and quite a lot came out. Um, thefts from shops are up, hugely up. There's a huge problem with open drug use and drug dealing in the city centre. There's a shortage of police, a serious shortage of police personnel and indeed Chief Superintendent Tom Myers alluded to that in the course of the meeting. Our news reporter Maureen Tuig uh, can tell us more about that meeting Maureen. Good morning. Good morning PJ. Quite a lot of things came up. Let's start with that, the, the, num- the amount of theft and the lack of guard presence. That's it, yeah. So the latest figures show, and this will be for the first two months of this year, um, showing a 78% rise in thefts from shops in the city. And what we were told yesterday at the JPC is that a key feature of these thefts is alcohol. But again, no matter how big or small a theft from a shop is from a local business, it still shouldn't be happening. Um, and what uh, Super, Chief Superintendent Thomas Myers told the meeting was that, you know, there is between daytime presence of Gardaí in the city centre and nighttime presence there's a there's a, a change or a difference I suppose so at nighttime he said they're quite good the the rota or the shifts start like 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. and then 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. is the daytime shift but what he said is that the requirement there for Gardaí to be in the courts and and prisons he said courts are jammed prisons are jammed and he said that's what's killing us in terms of that daytime presence so we're seeing um as I say the 78 percent rise in thefts from shops there and it was a big concern Concerned. The, the CBA were represented um, at the meeting yesterday as well by uh, Helen Murphy. And she was just saying, you know, that 
there was an increased Garda presence on the streets during uh, the retail hours over Christmas and that that made a huge difference and that the CBA would love to to see that type of, of presence back again. Yeah. And what she said as well is that a lot of these shops are, you know, trying to get private security, but because of a lack of available personnel and, and the cost of it, they're finding it quite hard to and difficult to hire those uh, private security staff. Mm. Chief Superintendent Myers is a man who's normally very guarded in his comments. I was surprised to read this morning, Maureen, that he was so open about the, the need for more Gardaí allocated in daytime. And the fact that, and you, you, you spend enough time in the courts to know this, and I did before you, everyone that gets goes up before the district court on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, there's a guard tied up in that. There's Absolutely. a guard who could there be out on the guard. street tied up in that. Yeah, they, they're in there. They have to give evidence. If they've arrested someone, they have to give evidence of that. And as you know yourself, PJ, sometimes the courts can be a little delayed. So you just don't know uh, from when you go in the door what time you're going to get back out, what time the case is going to come up and, and just how long you're going to be in there for. So the resources are being taken up a lot by uh, having to the requirement there. Now, he said that's the system, you know, and the requirement to be in, in court. Now, what we were told yesterday at the meeting is that the Garda Commissioner is due to be at the next meeting and that's happening in June. It's a public <laughs> meeting um, happening in June and he's due to be there. And this was when the discussion about um, the, the open drug use in the city came up and what Chief Superintendent Meyer said at that stage is that when the Garda Commissioner comes down, it'll be an opportunity to collectively put as much pressure as they can from the Rebel County to secure those extra resources to ensure that there is uh, more uh, Garda presence on the on the streets. And I, I think the, the collective understanding is that if the if the guards are visible there, that hopefully it might deter um, a lot of this activity from going on. Yeah, yeah. And he, he said, look, it's not like we're not recruiting new guards. It's just they're not coming to Cork at the end of the recruitment. So it's important that we get some more of them. On the drug use thing, um, Councillor Colin Kelleher, the former Lord Mayor, was saying he had seen it in the city Sunday afternoon in the middle of the day. That was it. He said it was about half three on Sunday afternoon. He was in the city and uh, and he saw it happening. Um, he said on Patrick Street um, around half three on Sunday afternoon and he renewed the call there for a supervised injection facility. And he was um, away in the US recently on behalf of the city council as part of uh, those St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And he was in Rochester where he was talking, um, I think, to the mayor in Rochester and they've opened a facility, a supervised injection facility there. And they've seen a massive of reduction in open drug use in their city and drug litter as well. So he renewed those calls to to get the, the supervised injection facility and he was able to to give the, I suppose, share the lived experience that Rochester has yeah. seen and the benefits that they've seen from having such a such a facility. And the chief super was not opposed to it. He said it should be left on the table, correct? Absolutely, yeah. He said it should stay on the agenda and uh, Anne Doherty, the, the chief executive of Cork City Council suggested uh, a meeting with the Minister of State at the Department of Health, Hildegard Nocton, uh, with a view to progressing that matter. So when is the Commissioner coming to attend the JPC? So that meeting is in June and they said it's still uh, the case that the, the guy, the commissioner, is due to come down for that meeting in June. Um, and I suppose it's an opportunity, as, as Chief Superintendent Meyer said, you know, to put the pressure on, get get that slice of the pie, get those uh, extra resources for Cork. Um, and he said, you know, that retention seems to be an issue as well that you know Gardaí come through the, the the college and they're they stay in the in the force for a while and then they decide maybe it's not for them yeah. so there is there's a situation there of how, I suppose how to encourage uh, more people to to take on the 
you know, to become Gardaí and go to Temple Mormon train and and to to serve um, as a, as a member of the the Gardaí. Um, I suppose, BJ, another thing that was discussed yesterday is, is road traffic accidents yes. and material damage was one that was. That was on the the increase and Superintendent Ronan Kennelly from a uh, based in Tokergar the station. He just spoke about that everyone these days has a, a personal computer in terms of their phone, and you're in the car, and he said it just seems to be that everyone is you know looking at the phone when they're driving along. They want to keep up to date with social media, and he said it's quite hard to detect this because he said you know there could be material damage, um, accident, it could be fender bender. He said there may no might be no offence disclosed, but there's just such a volume of cars on the road these days. And even Chief Superintendent Meyer said, everyone just seems to be in a hurry. Everyone on the road, they're in a hurry to get from A to B. Um, and that these, you know, material damage um, collisions, they're only an inch or two away from, you know, a fatality or someone getting seriously injured in these incidents. So the message there was to people to just slow down yeah. and, and maybe not to be in such a hurry to, to get everywhere. There's an amount in what he says, isn't there? We're all, if you only set out, we only set out five minutes earlier to solve a lot of our problems. Absolutely. I mean, we often hear of, you know, tailbacks and and traffic and people just, nobody wants to to be stuck or, or, you know, everyone just wants to get where they want to be just as quick as they can. But the advice is to just slow down. As you say, take, leave that five minutes earlier, make it more comfortable for yourself. And and again, with the phones, you know, all it takes is just a a second to take your eye off the road and it could, you know, it it could lead to something absolutely terrible. So that's the advice, slow down and and just put put the phone away while you're, while you're traveling. All right, Maureen, thank you very much. That's Maureen Tuig, our news reporter at 96FM, reporting on yesterday's meeting of the Joint Policing Committee and confirmation that Drew Harris, the Garda Commissioner, will be in Cork in June to attend a meeting of the JPC. 0818 96 96 Now, a family has been left uh, heartbroken because a potential greenway, which is planned for Mallow to Dungarvan, will cut right through their farm. Mallow to Dungarvan, that's quite a lengthy bit of greenway. And they heard about it only on Facebook. Cleana O'Shea. Cleana, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? I'm very well. You found about this on Facebook. Tell me more about it. Um, like I was here scrolling through Facebook one day and there was an announcement put up that um, Mr. Ryan had awarded funds to Waterford City and County Council and Cork County Council to do a feasibility study on the Mallow to Dungarvan Um Greenway on the old rail line right. from Mallow to Dungarvan. That's a fair but, length of a greenway. Yeah, but the problem is there is no rail line. There's no rail line from Mallow to Dungarvan with over 40 years. I was thinking that. Was there ever? Well, it, it was closed. Yeah, there was. It, it closed in the mid 60s. There was a rail line and it closed in the, it closed in the mid 60s. And in, 19, in the 1980s or late 70s, early 80s, the land was offered to the adjacent farmers to purchase. And my father-in-law bought his bit in May 1982, two acres. I see. So he bought um, where the where the oh, bought, used to... Yeah, bought, yeah, it was bought. We have deeds, we have the whole lot here, yeah. Right. And now but, Minister Ryan has said this greenway will run along the path of the old railway line. So, yeah, yeah. So effectively through your land. Through the middle, right? Through the centre. One kilometre of greenway. One right through the middle of the farm. 
And is this land that you farm for crops or livestock or whatever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have, we're a mixed beef and tillage farm. We, we're, we're not quite, we're not organic, but we're as close to organic as we, as we can be without going fully, without fully restrictions. We're very low input, eco-friendly, sustainable kind of farming. Yeah. And we've been planning this, with, like, to, we've been setting the farm up to do this with over 10 years. Yeah. We have a, we have a business model. We have all our fields set up for rotations and the whole lot. And we just we, we like try to organize our like our stocking rates because you know with the EU guidelines, we're we're very restricted with nitrogen and everything. Sure, right? sure. You do you're you're doing your best, but then best comes this feasibility study and look, there's not yeah, a shovel swung it. yet. But Eamon Ryan has looked given money for a feasibility study of a greenway yeah. right through a couple of your fields. What recourse do you have? You you can surely say, as or a minister, that's my field. Well. You see, but the, yeah, we we can we can say that. But we're, what what we have seen in South Kerry and what going to what's happening in in Galway at the moment, South Kerry was CPO'd, yeah, and they're trying to CPO in Galway, mm. and they're going they'll probably do the same to us here. CPO right through the middle of your farm, right through the middle of the farm. It's not really an option to go around us because on the lower end is the river, the Blackwater. Yeah. And on the other side, you have the N72, which is barely wide enough for two cars to pass on at the moment, anyway. Yeah. And the pro- and the problem is, do you know? Have you heard of the Carrigabrick Viaduct over the Black River Blackwash and some I can't say I'm familiar. No. Yeah. But well, there's, there's, yeah. There's a viaduct comes straight across the river from the north side of from my over to, and it comes up onto our land. Okay. Okay. So they're going to want to put that into it. So, they like if they want to come over the viaduct onto our land, their only option is through, right? right. But we have like there's been a, we have a problem with the, with the, like it's they're trying to say it's an abandoned rail line, and mm. people and people in the towns and they think oh it's great you know oh no 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 overground track overgrown track or briars and whatever they're going to tidy it up and we can use it, mm. but actually that, that's not what it is, and that's happening. In fairness, that's happening up and down the country where old disused tracks are being made yeah, into green residences. And, and that's lovely. But this is through your lovely. firm. Yeah. This is through our business. There's not, it, that wouldn't be tolerated through any other business in the land that they could put a public walkway through a shop or through a factory floor or anything. This is our factory floor. Yes. It would not be tolerated anywhere in the country. So are you going to fight it? We'll have to fight it. Like, there, and like another thing, another line, another falsehood they're coming out with is it 75% in state ownership it's actually not it's more like 75% in private ownership yes because like I said I had never even heard of that railway I'd I'd be familiar for example with the West Cork railway and I'd be a a huge believer that it was the most stupid thing we ever did was getting rid of it and I feel similarly with regard to Yall I I think the train should be back in Yall years ago I didn't even know there was this connection near your place yeah, and like then, and like as well as that, then they're saying it's a preferred route. A preferred route means they looked at other alternatives. They didn't look at any other alternative. Two years ago, they came out and said they were going to go down this line. Two weeks ago, they came out and they said a preferred route has emerged, and that they would be notifying all the landowners preferred on the line. Preferred by who? Says you? Yeah, but they they were going to notify everybody on the line. That's two weeks ago. 
I have neighbours that the, the Greenway is not even going to go through and have got letters about this preferred route. It's coming directly through the middle of my farm and we still haven't got a letter to say it's on, we're on the preferred route. And this is what they're doing. It's division. They're causing, and there's like, it's box ticking exercises. Oh, we sent out 2,000 notices. We got only got 800 replies. But sending out 2,000 notices to people that are not affected. It's gone down behind 2,000 bread bins, but, but you didn't yes. even get to see it, and it's coming through your land. Yeah, it's coming through our land. They had a public consultation last year, and only for, I actually saw it on Facebook, I wouldn't have known about it. My next-door neighbour never saw it and missed the deadline to, to submit her objection. I can hear your anger, uh, Cleana. You feel like a, set, a second-class yeah. citizen here as a farmer, do yeah, you? Yeah, we're totally, totally left down. Everything is anti-farmer. Everything, everything we do is wrong. But the, people, the total disconnect of how people are getting their food or the, like, how farmers are working and how hard we work all the time. You had all the claps out there for the essential workers and the nurses and the doctors and everyone working so hard in COVID. We were working every day. Yeah. We kept the shelves full every day. How do we think we got milk and how do we think we got vegetables? No, yeah, yeah. You know, like we, like this is what we do. We do it because we love it. I know. You know, and and this is what we know. This my son will be the fourth generation on this farm. Working this farm, we be the fourth generation. That's how long we are here working this ground. You're not, you're not pleased with Eamon Ryan. Not a bit, and I, I don't know. Like, he, I don't know, and like, I don't know what the, what is that man even thinking? Like, they're saying, talking about oh, it'll be great for the town and all the extra business that it will generate. And I think, why should my business suffer so somebody in town can sell a few cups of coffee? Clean, sorry, sorry, but I, I found that. Yeah, you're yeah, right. About, Appropriate, I think. No, you're right. You're right. Like, like this, uh, we're going to have to reduce our production, which reduces our earnings. Yes. To give land, like every every, we use every inch of our land to make our fuel. Bob, we're not rich. We're not. We're 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 like everybody else. We're doing our best. Keep a roof over our heads. Food in the fridge. You know, we're in the lucky position. We only have one child. He's 19 now. He's making his own way. He's, he, he's, you know, he has a little job of his own. He's doing an apprenticeship. Mm. And, like, there's other families with three and four children that are trying to send them to college and everything. And struggling. Yeah. On farm. Yeah, and you're feeling like you're being second-class class citizens as farmers in 2023. Cleaner, thank you. Stay in touch with me on this one because we'll follow it with, with interest. There are greenways popping up all over the country. That's Cleana O'Shea. I wasn't aware that was there years ago, that there was a connection between Mallow and Dungarvan. There was. And now they want to put a greenway there. Like they're putting dozens of greenways around the country and you can love them or hate them depending on where they are, I suppose. But Cleana has been farming this bit of land with her family for years. And now she's afraid that she's going to be CPO'd to put a greenway through the middle of her business. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Now, if you are of a certain age or a certain television taste, shall we say, this will mean a lot to you. I loved it. Both versions of it. Loved it. Yeah. 
Ellis. What a show. What an absolutely fantastic show. And J.R. Ewing. J.R. Ewing. Larry Hagman. The bad guy of all bad guys. There was never a bad guy like him. And he was such a bad guy, you'd like him. He, the only one who comes to mind now and like him is uh, Raymond Reddington in The Blacklist. But I digress. Why am I playing that tune? Because that's exactly where Rachel Gaffney is these days. Dallas, Texas. Rachel, I need to ask you before we talk about what you do over there. Is South Fork a real place that you can visit? Morning. Good morning. I'm going to call you Larry. Good morning, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Our, our, yes, it is. It's a real ranch, South Fork. It's actually um, in Parker, Texas. Wow. And you can go and tour it but and visit? Oh, you can. I've only been there about two or 300 times. I was there on Sunday with some people that were over from Ireland, so I had to take them to South Fork Ranch. And it was really interesting, PJ, because I was posting on Twitter and Instagram or whatever, just shared a few posts. And the amount of people that commented that said to me, I didn't know that was actually a real place that you could go visit. Wow. You'd run tours mm. there as part of your business. No, I don't. <laughs> I um, I live here. I moved here in 1996. I'm originally from Cork. Right. Um, but, but via London, I ended up here in Dallas with my husband and kids. But I actually have an Irish travel business. Yeah, so I, I was going to get Ireland. to that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but I don't run tours to South Fork. Sorry, I beg, beg your pardon. Okay. Um, but I've, I just took some friends. It was Patrick's weekend. And honestly, I wanted to do the opposite of the Irish stuff. I wanted to take some Irish people to some Texas places as well. Yeah. So I took them out to South Fork. And um, it's really interesting because in, in the room, when we got there, we started talking to the tour guide. And there were people from Sweden and Denmark and Turkey and Florida, and, you know, and it was amazing. And then we ended up being like the Irish Tourist Board because they all started talking to us about Ireland. I mean, we have magical powers. I know. They I just, know. they want to come over. That's all they do. And that's <laughs> where your business comes because, Rachel, people come over to Ireland and have done in their tens of thousands and indeed hundreds of thousands and they spend millions of dollars here every summer, which yeah. is absolutely fantastic. But they come, I would say, with something of a, a wrong impression of of what we're really like, and that's where you come in, oh, isn't thank it? You. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, my background is in hotels. Actually, my very very first job was at the Rochester Park Hotel oh. in 1989. Literally, the altar had just been deconsecrated, and it was a reception desk. So that'll tell you how old the hotel doesn't look the same. But no, through my years of living here, my husband and I were transferred here, and I lived here in Chicago, and I noticed that people's perception of Ireland especially the Ireland I was raised in, the Cork I was raised in, the Cork that my family and friends live in and Ireland. It's just, the disconnect was huge. So back in 2002, I decided I'm just going to tell the story my way, um, which is, you know, not every one of us are falling off bar stools um, because I, I do get tired of that image, the green beer and the cabbage and the, you know, there's a very rich cultural side. I mean, the story of the food, even though Irish people know how fabulous our food is, it's barely even made a dent over here. Barely. Really? Um, yeah. I know other people will argue with me and say there's magazine articles and there's tourist boards and, and there's that. And, that, and that's, that, that is happening and it's fabulous. I'm not knocking that. But on the whole, I mean, I live in Texas, so you go to Oklahoma, you go to Colorado, you talk about the food and it's still, really? You go to Ireland for the food? 
The good news about that, PJ, is, look, it means it's a niche. It means we yeah. can keep filling that void. Um, and the other thing, I won't go on about complaining, but the access, the I wish I could get people into Cork Airport. Um, I just can't believe we can put a man on the moon, but we can't get a direct flight from the United States of America to Cork. Which would, would it be, be a game changer, Rachel? Even though Shannon is only an be. hour up the road. Yeah, but Shannon, if I could get them in there too, because the argument, PJ, all the time from even Irish people, some people who should remain nameless, that I had this conversation with um, on, on a certain level in the last week was, but you can go from New York and Philadelphia. I mean, how does that help people? If I, if I fly from New York, if I fly from here in Dallas to New York, it's a minimum of a four or four and a half hour flight. Yeah. Okay. So what I'd love to see happening is now we have a direct light flight from Dallas to Dublin, which is great. I mean, if you think the population of DFW, it's just over seven and a half million people. And I, I only sell Ireland, like I said to you. And when they get into Dublin, I can only get them so far in the country. And then I have to kind of put a harness around them and pull them back again for their flights. Yeah. And I just feel like... I can't get people to other parts of the country that I'd really like to them to go to. You know, okay. I, I I need them to, you know, I would. Um, I'm sending a lot more people to Cork this year. Right. This summer. Where do you base I'm, them? Where I'm, do they stay? I'm a big West Cork fan, I have to tell you. Um, and so, of course, my clients want the luxury um, and there's I have to find that balance. I mean, they'll do the Ashford, the Ballyfin, Sheen Falls, Adair Manor, that kind of thing. But I'll tell you, there's a hotel that I'm using this summer a little bit more, which is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. But I tell them, I'd love to kind of base you, come over the Healy Pass and go stay in the Eccles in Glengariff. What a lovely place, Rachel. Just because immerse yourself there. Because if you're only going for luxury, then that's the destination. You can't really go off property. So if you have Ashford Castle, as you imagine, or Adair Manor, they're wonderful properties and I use them all the time. But if you're kind of rocky up there at six o'clock at night and you have to leave in the morning after breakfast, what a waste. So if you go there, that's the destination. But if you really want to immerse yourself, I think Glen Gareth was over there last uh, August and just I did the U experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've done that out on out the road on the way to Kenmare, which was fantastic. But, but you, you need a few days. You're talking to be about in that the area. greatest country. You're talking about the greatest part, the most beautiful part of the country. And you, like you say, if you come for luxury, you'll find it. But that's yeah. not the real. That's not real Ireland. No, no. And that's what I'm trying to and I'm trying to get them to slow down as well, because with Americans, it's like a drive by, you know, (laughs) the whole country in a week. Yeah, I do presentations. I did one in Corsicana, Texas, about 10 days ago, which is the home of the oil well, by the way. First oil wells that hit were in Corsicana. So you're talking about a community that all the oil, the original wildcatters started and, um, you know, the the, the money there is huge, but they, they want that kind of laid back. Um, authentic experience Mm -hmm. and I gave a talk to them last week and I talked to them about slowing down and this woman told me well we it's a tiny country isn't it and I said well let's look at it this way It, it is tiny I mean it's about the size of the state of Iowa but at the same time you and I both know whether you're in West Cork or East Cork or to be fair I don't sell Cork I sell Ireland you know if you're in Clare or if you're up in Roscommon or wherever you are you could be there for a week and still not see enough. Ain't that the truth? Anywhere you go in Ireland. And more importantly, and by the way, can I ask a question? I'm always looking. I scour Twitter. 
I read the papers, I subscribe to everything over there. I'm always looking for people, places, experiences, things that I never know what my client is interested in. So if I'm talking to them, I kind of go, ah, I know where I need to send you. You need to be. The reason I said the Eccles was because I had met the chef there. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever met their chef there, Eddie Atwell. Have not since they him? changed the place. Not since they've done it up, haven't been down there, no. Oh, PJ, Eddie Atwell was on a finalist twice on the Great British Menu. Remember the BBC yes, show? Yes, I do, yes. Okay, I have a client who should remain nameless owns a sports team in the United States. And he'd done all the luxury. And I sent him to the Eccles and I asked Eddie Atwell to look after them. He took them out on um, the bay, out in front of the Glengar, in front of the Eccles Hotel, and took them out foraging for, you know, honeysuckle and all sorts of stuff and how he get, gathers his food. Then cooked them dinner. The guy also owns a vineyard in California and said to them, whenever you want to come out to me, you know, and you love those kind of relationships. Yeah. That are, and he called me and he said that actually his stay in West Cork was the highlight of their trip. See. But it was because of the people. Yeah. It's no, there's so the much, people. there's so much. I mean, I like we go to West Cork couple of times a year for a weekend and every time you go every time you go and we're locals like you get to see more oh. I, they, they, they don't know the they don't know the half of it and you your your entire business is based on showing people your Ireland and your native county right so I tell people I'm not a chef I'm not a potter I'm not an author I'm not any of those things but let me introduce you to the people who are really good at what they do um, and, you know, you mentioned West Cork. I love all around Union Hall and all those little special places where you can go whale watching and things like that. And I mean, this is a Cork show, so I can talk about Cork, but I would like to see more properties in Cork. I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm excited about what's happening with Castle Marshall Resort. Yeah. Because I think East Cork, um, you know, the Notre Dame Navy game is on August 26th in Dublin. So we've got 42,000 Americans descending on Dublin. But here's my issue. Big issue. A lot of the hotels in Dublin have mandated a minimum three to four nights stay. Mm. If you're over for a week, how far around the country do you get to go? Yeah, that's a good point. And good point. I would love to see more and more access to, of course, I won't be very popular for saying that, but it's just fact. No. But I do have some clients that I have heading down now to, of course, Ballymaloo. And um, I'm looking at, um, I'm coming over actually to Cork at the end of April. Oh, well, we need, to, we need to catch up. I, I, I want to go out and see Ballyvalan House properly. Pop, do you know what we're going to do? We're going put, put, to put you in the diary because I think we could talk oh, more, yeah. right? We're going to put you in the diary and we're going to talk again when you're that here in Cork. Yeah, because I'm, I'm fascinated by what you do. And I think we're going to talk for lot, lots more than seven or eight minutes. So let's, let's, lads, let's book her in. Because I'm out of time right now, but I'd love to chat again. And I never knew there was an altar at Rochester Park Hotel. I need to hear that story. Rachel, I'm out of time and I have to go. Rachel Gaffney's Real Ireland. Search it and you'll find her, her website. She wants to bring Americans here. And she'd love to have a flight into Cork. We must talk to Barry Holland about that the next time we're in touch with him. Rachel Gaffney's Real Ireland. That's it for today. Program edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we'll see you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. 
confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.